2: Hi, welcome to In The Pink,
0: sponsored by Bose. Stay home, stay healthy, stay connected. Okay, let's um, fast forward then. to So, we, so we, we go into this sort of golden era for cycling. And then that means that by the time we got Olympics on home soil, uh, you know, you're riding the crest of a wave and you've got this whole kind of army of fans behind you. But li- quite literally, you are at the forefront with, as the flag bearer mm. as, uh, in London. I mean, what about yeah. that must have been?
1: Well, it was It was never really on the radar so I'd, I had, you know, everything was planned to, you know, with real precision. I mean, kind of use F1 as our, our gold standard to look to in the way that F1 teams operate? And Dave Brailsford used them as his, that was the template really, marginal gains. That whole philosophy came from Formula One. So, so many things are, you know, you're trying to think of everything, every single possible thing to, control to optimize to get the best out of and then last minute the spanner in the works was you know guess what you've been nominated to carry the flag by your teammates and one of the biggest honors you could possibly imagine but equally (coughs) it was like well you're going to be walking for about four hours or on your feet for at least four hours on the night you're racing you know three days later you would never ever as cyclists one of our mantras are you don't stand when you can sit and don't sit when you can lie down so, you know, cyclists never walk anywhere, they will rest their legs at any opportunity they can. And here I was, right, here, stand with the flag and, and stay on your feet for four hours, you know, a matter of a couple of days before your competition. But there was no way I was going to miss it, so it was like, well, right, what, what do I do then? Well, you know, get one of these little, you know, these little chairs that fishermen have, or, you know, the kind of, you can, the, the portable chairs, you pop out so you can sit down and rest your legs, so when you basically line up at the village and make this walk, it's only about maybe two miles, but from the village into the stadium. And But you're, it takes you three or four hours to get there. You're doing it in really slow segments. You stop and there's crowds on either side and you're waving and chatting and you know posing for photos and stuff. But it, t- it takes so much energy, sort of emotional energy out of you because it's so exciting and you're so hyped up, the whole team's with you, that there's a risk that you can get through the opening ceremony and be absolutely drained. <coughs> and even like now, it's quite pertinent to the whole world we're in now, but even things like picking up bugs. So you're shaking hands with so many people, you're high-fiving. So you have this, I had my my gel on the little pack on my hip, and I was just putting hand gel on every sort of 30 seconds to try and not pick up bugs because um in Beijing the, the triathlon team was wiped out with a diarrhea and vomiting bug and they were in our block and we were told you know you don't touch lift buttons, don't touch door handles, don't touch um handrails, anything at all, don't shake hands you know, we've got to be on full lockdown here, try and minimise the chance of getting sick. And we got through it unscathed. So um, you learn these little things, just marginal things you can do to to minimise risk. So anyway, got to the the final um, point of about to walk into the stadium with the flag. And it was just like this moment of realisation that the last four years, the hard work, the ups and downs, the injuries, the defeats, the you know, I only just got selection of Olympics as well. Things hadn't gone that well the last six months and it was a really tough time. And I was 36. So it was, you know, for an athlete in a sprint event, I was really old. I was the oldest of any um, gold medalist, certainly in history, to, to do a sprint event in cycling. So all these concerns and worries and negativity, you know, ups and downs. I finally got there and I stood there with this flag and walked out and Bowie, you know, Bowie's heroes pumped out and there's, confetti and it was just the noise everything about it I remember thinking the last four years the hard work it's been worth it for this moment so it, it took the weight off my shoulders I didn't feel as if I had extra pressure as a flag bearer. I, I thought well that was all worth it for this one moment and without doubt looking back in my my life so far that that those few seconds walking in there were amongst the most special and I, including you know the birth of your children or you know anything else getting married it was it was right up there it was a really really special moment
0: that's amazing and we we talked a lot about the sort of mental side of of your sport physically how tough is it because you touched on it there being 36 you were you were pretty old to be doing what you were doing Mm. um how much you kind of like how finely tuned are you and how much physical effort do you need to put into to each event
1: well, because it's a sprint event, although the races are quite short, it means the intensity is, is maximal. So every session you do, every training session, if you can't do 100% effort, there's no point in training. So it's as physically, I'd say it's as hard mentally as it is physically. So every single day you come in, you can't just turn in and sort of do a session, get through it, either do it properly or don't do it at all. So you have this mentality of being able to switch on focus for a few seconds and then switch off. So you can be in the track center on a training day, having a laugh with your teammates. And then as soon as your name gets called to go on the track, it's like, switch on, you step on the track, full intensity, being really like, true 100% effort. And you can be lying on the ground afterwards, throwing up, you know, it's, it's physically, it's a really grim um, event to train for. Certainly the 1000 meter time trial, the amount of lactic acid or lactic amount of lactate your body produces that real burning sensation. It's, it's not pleasant. But it's what you have to do to get the best out of yourself. So every single session, you are on the limit. And the confidence you would get from knowing that there's nothing more you could do in your training sessions, in literally every single effort of every single session, if you gave 100%, when you got to the start line on race day every four years, you could almost take the pressure off. You knew that, well, if if I win, I win. If I don't win, I don't win because, you, you know you've got to shake the guy's hand if he beats you, fair enough. But as long as you've done everything you can within your powers to be the best you can be, mm. that's all you can ask for.
0: As long as your hand sanitising after you shake his hand.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fist bumping. Yeah. Fist bump.
0: um, I don't know if I've made this up, but I seem to remember somewhere you saying that your thighs were bigger than your wife's waist. <laughs> Is that true? I made well, that?
1: it all started because, you know, good old Daily Mail or whoever the tabloids were, um, the first thing they wanted to know. So after like, you know, you've got all these journalists who follow your career when you're competing and then all of a sudden the Olympics, all the tabloid journalists pile in and want to know everything. And so it was like, wow, look how big are your legs? Um, 27, 27 inches. And then they sort of came back and said, that's bigger than Posh Spice's waist. Ugh. And I was like, wow. And then, so then it was like, well, and then my wife said, well, that, that's that's bigger than my waist too. And it was it just one of these things people used to say, you know, they used to compare Posh Spice's waist to my legs. Um, but in, I think yeah, a lot of a lot of people have waists that are smaller than my legs. Maybe not now, but um, yeah.
0: That's great though. And then and then, how how did you feel after competing at the at the um, at the British Olympics at the in the, in 2012? Because um, you, you you spoke earlier about sort of not getting your kicks in the same way. That must have been some kind of come down after London.
1: 2012. Well it was but it was also I kind of realized in that time that it was was the end of my career. I certainly knew that it was my last Olympic Games. I was going to I was hoping to try and continue on until Glasgow 2014 for the Commonwealth Games but certainly I knew it was my last Olympics. I'd hung on with you know by the skin of my teeth really. Um, My body was I was picking up injuries. I wasn't recovering as well as I used to when I was younger. So I was able to just to almost reflect. It was a period of reflecting on my whole career and just being so grateful that it had all worked out because it was it was a tough old time. Um, and all these things, whenever we had any, you know, we didn't have kids at that point, so Calum and Chloe weren't born, so we had this list of places we wanted to go to and visit, things we wanted to do. And whenever we are struggling and training or having a tough time, you know, we'd sit down in the evenings and write down you know, on my phone and sort of add in a little thing, oh, let's go and visit that hotel, that restaurant, or go to that place in the world we've not been to yet. So we basically plotted this amazing holiday, um, for, it was the start of 2013, and yeah, we went to all over the place. We went to Thailand, Cambodia, out to Australia. Um, we drove the whole of the east coast, right up to, in Queensland, North Queensland, back down, and then we flew into went, went from I went to Melbourne for the F1, and I got my first ever driving motorsport race. I raced in a Celebrity Challenge.
0: I remember. Surely, effort, I remember. Yeah, yeah
1: yeah 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 and I got I got the car got absolutely smashed up I got came second in the end but it was a it was like dodging cars it was crazy um but that really kind of ignited my passion for for motorsport I mean I was already planning to do a bit of racing before that but that you know as your first ever race to be doing it in front of a you know Grand Prix audience on on race weekend it was absolutely amazing but um yeah this this was the most incredible holiday I had and I thought you know what I've got, I'm so lucky to have been through this amazing career and to have achieved what I, I never dreamt I would even win one gold medal, let alone six. So, although it's the end of your career, and you know, there is a period of mourning almost where your career is over and you realize that's it and you're coming to terms with the fact that you're retiring. But it was just the chance I had all these new opportunities, the chance to start a family, you know, just an exciting time and having a bit of balance in your life as well because you're so, you have to be so one dimensional and focus on one thing. For so long, it can be quite exhausting mentally to then have the balance and the chance to do new stuff and not worry about how your legs feel every morning when you wake up and kind of, you know, it used to roll out of bed and your body ached. And um, it was quite nice to have a, a bit more of a normal, you know, angle to your life.
0: Because I was going to ask you where the passion for most sport came from, but. Really, listening to you for the last half an hour or so, I can totally see it because you are <laughs> interested in marginal gains. You are interested mm-hmm. in preparation, controlling the controllables, all the things that uh, we really focus and obsess about in Formula One. Mm. And, and presumably you have been able to get some kind of adrenaline fix from your pursuit of motorsport. Just tell us about mm. Lamar, tell us about all the other events that you've been involved in and you know what you've made of it all.
1: Yeah, well, I was, I was inspired by Colin McRae. He was my hero in motorsport, and I used to watch the World Rally all the time. And the fact that Colin did, you know, Dakar Rally, he did Le Mans himself, he got on the podium in Le Mans in GTE class. Um, you know, he, he was an amazing guy, world champion Scottish. So it was really thanks to Colin. A, he inspired me, and B, um, we, we did a documentary about his life and his career in 2013. And it was through the BBC, and I was presenting it. So I got to meet Colin's family, and... It was through that filming that I, I got a chance to race in a, a novice race series that year and that's really where it all sort of started from it spiraled from um but there I guess motorsport to people who maybe don't get it or who who aren't interested in it it's just for me the reason I love it so much a it's the obvious stuff the speed the adrenaline the competition that's amazing but it's also being part of a team and having a, a common goal that you're all working towards and having, you know, I love the data, I love the, the, the detail you go into. And when I first started, I couldn't believe the difference that, you know, raising the ride height a centimeter or a few millimeters could make, you know, chain, you know, the fact that the tires can degrade so quickly and the effect that has on your lap times, all these tiny little things that, that go together to make this overall package, this performance package. So, um, yeah, I love it. And I'm, my, my level is, and I'm you know an amateur driver, I'm never going to be that great. But what I love about the sport is you can compete alongside professional drivers and you can look at your data, you can see how you can improve, you can see what they're doing, you can see what you're doing. And, and Le Mans is the pinnacle of that kind of program um, competition. And Le Mans, I, got a, I had a skeletric set when I was a kid. It was a Le Mans edition. I had two Porsche 911s with lights on them. And I, so I've always been interested in Le Mans from a, you know, five or six years of age. And then 2016, i managed to progress through the ranks. We won the European Le Mans series in 2015 to qualify for, for Le Mans. And there I was pulling the pit lane, going down the Malzahn Strait, and Mark Webber's going past in the Porsche. And I'm just thinking, this is absolutely incredible. You know, it, it was it, a real sort of pinch yourself moment to to be out there on the track in such an iconic race, living your dream. It's a miracle. You've got
0: the thighs <laughs> to get in there. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, yes. so all, all these races are like little whippets, aren't they? You, you yeah, know. they
1: are. I, and that's, that's I, the thing, you know. Big legs don't help you in motorsport. In fact, I've broken, I've broken more um, brake pedals on the simulator. So there was Nissan were my sort of main sponsor and supporter um, up to Le Mans, and we had a sim that I used to use. And this, they kept coming back with tougher and tougher rubber bushings for the brake pedal because they said, you've got to hit it hard. I was like, OK, I'll hit it hard. And they're like, no, not well. OK, we'll get a stronger pedal for you. And I just kept breaking them. So in the end, it was just this realization that, yeah, Strong legs don't really make a difference in motorsport, sadly.
0: One format that I love, that I know you took part in, was Race Champions, because it's the idea that you you, that you put everyone in on a level playing field, because everyone's always arguing like who the best racer is. And you you partnered with Grosjean didn't you? Tell us about that. That's right.
1: Yeah, yeah. So basically, I got a call from David Coulthard about Wednesday that week. and I was due to be going down there anyway for, it was in, at Wembley and it, there was a celebrity challenge where it was basically just in an aerial atom doing little, a little route around cones in the track centre. And David said, um, I, think, I think it was Lorenzo or somebody had injured themselves and they needed yes. someone to step in. And it just so happened that was the season that we, where we won the European Le Mans series. So technically, technically, um, I was a champion that year in motorsport, albeit the amateur side of a pro, pro-am team. Um, and he said, do you want to come down and do this, you know, race of champions? I was like, well, of course I do. But equally, you know, I don't want to make an idiot myself because I'm up against you know, the F1 drivers, rally drivers, all the best drivers in the world. And he said, like, don't worry about it. Even if you're you know, way off the pace, you're only going to be a couple of seconds behind um, and on, you know, on a short circuit. It doesn't look that bad. Just have fun. Come down and get involved. And, and I did. I got down and I had about 45 minutes of practice on the empty track. And then it was straight in the deep end. I think I was against Pascal Verline or I'm not sure it was. There's a couple of different races, but it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. I was about maybe at one point, I was just under two seconds down after the race. So it wasn't like I was a million miles off, but, um, what an experience, yeah, a fantastic, fantastic time and a great celebration, a great party afterwards as
0: well. Yeah, I bet it was. Thanks so much for listening to In The Pink. I hope you've enjoyed the podcasts you've listened to so far. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Check out our Instagram page at in underscore the underscore pink and you get all the details there about how you can win some of those Bose noise cancelling headphones. And... Join the community. We're all talking about the various guests that we've had on the podcast and who we'd like to see and hear in the next few weeks. So thank you for joining us. Stay with us. Stay healthy, stay home, stay connected with Bose.